It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, October 26th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. Tonight, the California Report takes us to Riverside County, where one of the state's most competitive house races is heating up. We've got your local news and weather before KVMR's Felton Pruitt talks to in-concert Sierra Board Vice President Keith Porter. The organization's plans for a 500-seat acoustic concert hall just got the green light from Grass Valley City Council. Listen in as the two discuss the next steps in the $12 million renovation project. We close with a commentary on electric vehicles by Shirley Frerichs. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Californians got another taste of our state's earthquake early warning system after a 5.1 quake struck in San Jose. It happened at 11.42 yesterday morning, but millions of people got a heads up seconds before the shaking started. Those alerts arrived via the Android operating system and the MyShake app. That should be enough time for people to take cover, says Richard Allen, director of the UC Berkeley Seismology Lab, which helped develop the early warning system. So we know from the Loma Prieta earthquake, from the Northridge earthquake, that about 50% of the injuries in those events were because people fell over or something fell on them. What you do when you get the alert is you drop, you take cover, and you hold on to whatever's giving you the cover. No one was hurt in yesterday's quake, nor was there any serious damage. Professor Allen says since the warning system launched in 2019, it has sent out alerts for 61 earthquakes. If you have an Android, the alert system is built into your phone. If you have an iPhone, you can download the MyShake app for free. One of the most competitive House races in California pits a Republican incumbent who opposed certifying the presidential election against a Democratic challenger who helped prosecute January 6 rioters. From Riverside County, KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer reports. On a warm summer night in downtown Palm Springs recently, street vendors are selling everything from scented candles to date milkshakes and Mexican helados. Lee Wilson Jr. is standing in front of a booth for the local chapter of the American Legion. We're here for the community every Thursday night. We're passing out flags to the little kids. Wilson used to be a Republican, but he switched parties over what he saw as GOP extremism on guns and abortion. I'm I'm very hardcore pro-liberty and democracy and all that kind of stuff. I'm against authoritarianism and demagoguery, shall we say. Wilson likes his current congressman, Democrat Raul Ruiz, but redistricting has put Wilson into a district that will be represented by Republican Ken Calvert, unless Democrats flip the seat. Calvert voted against certifying the election, and I asked Wilson if what happened on January 6th matters. Does it matter? Yeah, those guys should all be in freaking jail. Calvert is up against a 37-year-old Democrat, Will Rollins. Let me start just by saying happy Sunday to everybody. (laughs) Has everyone had a mimosa yet? At a fundraiser in Palm Springs recently, Rollins described how the former federal prosecutor helped build cases against January 6th rioters. And what was Ken Calvert, my opponent, doing while those of us in federal law enforcement were responding to that attack? He was voting to decertify the election. He was voting against a commission to even investigate the attack. 
Rollins is hoping to mobilize voters in part by emphasizing abortion rights and concerns about false conspiracy theories about elections. Unfortunately, they've got enablers in the House who buy into these conspiracy theories, who are willing to get onto the House floor and spread conspiracy theories that are just completely unsubstantiated. Loyola Law School professor Lori Levinson agrees and says overlooking what happened around the 2020 election is a big mistake. I'm generally not an alarmist, but I do agree that democracy is at stake here. We've never seen anything like this. For his part, Calvert, who has represented this region in Congress since 1993, is counting on voters to care more about kitchen table issues than the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Look, the people uh, that I talk to are not thinking about something that happened a year and a half ago. They're thinking about what's happening right now when they go to the market or when they go fill up their tank full of gasoline. The literature, you just click not home, left literature. At a recent Saturday morning rally for Calvert, volunteers like Frank Nelson turned out to knock on doors in Calvert's hometown, Corona. Nelson says what happened on January 6th was overblown. Because it wasn't an insurrection per se. That's, that's the other side pushing it. His wife, Betty Nelson, thinks the clout Calvert could have is more important. He has seniority right now, and if we could take the House back, he would be the head of the Appropriations Committee, which is very powerful. Voters like the Nelsons might be ready to look past the extremism that led to January 6th, but Dave Hisson isn't. He is disgusted by what happened. Dreadful, and I must tell you, I'm a Republican. A dreadful, embarrassing, humiliating. If Calvert is hoping to get support from Republicans like Hisson, he's out of luck. Because Hisson says he's not even going to vote. At my age and in my tax bracket, I choose not to get involved because I really don't care. My happiness is a lot more important than watching a bunch of kids fighting each other. We'll know soon whether voters here go with a Trump-endorsed Republican who's won 15 straight elections here or a fresh face who helped prosecute rioters who tried to keep Trump in power after he lost the election. For The California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer in Palm Springs. This story is part of a project from the California Newsroom, a collaboration of California's public radio stations, NPR, and CalMatters. California is on track to become the world's fourth largest economy. It'll overtake Germany thanks in part to California's fastest growing business, the renewable energy industry. According to Bloomberg News, the Golden State has proven resilient through the pandemic and now the current period of inflation. California has seen massive growth over the last three years in its top industries, technology hardware, media, and software. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel Falcor 2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration on the web at SchmidtOcean.org. Sports. 
spooky season is here and Halloween is just around the corner. A new list from WalletHub, an online personal finance resource, ranks the top 100 cities in the United States for trick-or-treating. WalletHub considered walk score, crime rate, and even candy in Halloween stores per capita. California cities held five spots in the list's top 10 overall best places for Halloween, with San Francisco at number two, followed by L.A. at number four, San Diego at number five, San Jose at number six, and Santa Ana at number nine. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, October 26th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Let's take a look at today's local news. KCRA 3 and CAP Radio will host a live debate at 7.30 p.m. Thursday night in Sacramento for candidates seeking the U.S. House District 3 seat. The debate will feature Democrat Kermit Jones, a doctor from Roseville, and Republican Kevin Kiley, a member of the State Assembly who represents parts of El Dorado, Placer, and Sacramento counties. Because of the redistricting process, U.S. House District 3 currently doesn't have an incumbent, The district represents voters in portions of Plumas, Mono, Sacramento, Sierra, Yuba, Nevada, Placer, El Dorado, Alpine, and Inyo counties. KCRA 3 anchor Edie Lambert and CAP Radio state politics reporter Nicole Nixon will be the debate moderators. The 7.30 p.m. debate airs tomorrow on KCRA 3. You'll also be able to stream it on kcra.com. CAP Radio will broadcast the debate on several of its stations and capradio.org. This reported by the Union of Grass Valley. Work is being done on the first phase of a major affordable housing community in South Lake Tahoe. The area has a severe workforce and low-income housing shortage. Sugar Pine Village will eventually have 248 income-restricted units of affordable housing on two parcels of land. The development is being constructed on vacant, state-owned land that was identified as part of a statewide affordable housing program through an executive order Governor Gavin Newsom signed in 2019. Those units will be available to households making between 30 and 60 percent of the area median income. The South Lake Tahoe region median household income is roughly $60,000, and median home prices in the Lake Tahoe area are among the highest in Northern California. Construction is expected to start in spring of 2023. This from the Sacramento Bee. Turning our attention to your forecast from the National Weather Service and air quality data from purpleair.com. Today is Nevada County's coolest day this week. Temperatures are expected to warm up slightly for the remainder of the week. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly clear with a low around 41. Thursday, sunny with a high near 65. Today's air quality is satisfactory, meaning air pollution poses little or no risk, with an AQI average around 26. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 18. Thursday, sunny with a high near 52. The current air quality is satisfactory, with an AQI average around 23. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 45. Thursday, sunny with a high near 72. Sacramento's current air quality is satisfactory, with an AQI average of 23. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR.
In Concert Sierra has raised $7 million to turn a former Grass Valley Blue Cross call center into a classical music lover's acoustic dream. KVMR's Felton Pruitt has the latest on plans for the over 41,000 square foot space. Up next. We're talking with Keith Porter. He's the vice president on the board for In Concert Sierra. He's also a broadcaster here at KVMR Radio. And last night, In Concert Sierra presented their plan for a new venue at 125 Crown Point Court to the Grass Valley City Council. Keith, how did things go last night? The uh, city council meeting went very, very well. We had a large group of people there. We actually packed the chamber and had a little bit of an overflow, which is unusual for a city council meeting. The councilors, I think, were appreciative of the uh, turnout. We got a unanimous uh, vote in support of the project moving ahead. uh, the, The approval required at this point was just a change in the zoning for the area because the uh, business park where the uh, building is located has never been zoned for uh, public assembly. It's been zoned for office space and light industrial and some other things, but never for public assembly. So we had to have that zoning change, and the council has approved it uh, 4-0. One of the councilors recused herself because of uh, her employment interests. So there were four people, and they voted for it uh, 100%, and we got some very positive comments. Let's go back a little historically. This is where the Grass Valley Group used to be over there on Crown Point Court, and this is a proposed new venue for in-concert Sierras. That's correct, yeah. And actually, the Grass Valley Group, uh, Grass Valley USA now, has a group of engineers still in the building, but they're a small group of people, about 25, I believe, and so the building is much too large for them. So they will be remaining here in the community. They will be moving to rental quarters at some point once we purchase the building, and uh, we are going to convert it into a true acoustic concert hall plus a uh, black box theater, a small theater space that's very flexible, can be used in a variety of ways, and a meeting and convention and banquet facility for up to 300 people seated for a meal. So it's a wonderful building, and it's a large building, and we're going to have many uses, all of which benefit the community. I was looking at the plans. You're expecting to have a concert hall that will seat over 500 people. That's right. Our, our design is uh, looking at 520 seats. The point of the hall is that it is acoustic, meaning there will be no amplification required for acoustical music like chamber music, a piano a concert, a small orchestra, even uh, some kinds of theater. The hall will have amplification available for things like a, a drama production or something like that. But normally the music will be performed without amplification and therefore, it'll be a much more true sound that is actually felt by the audience in addition to being heard through the ears. And it's designed exactly like concert halls have been since the Middle Ages in Europe, to be a certain length, a certain width, a certain height, which is known to be, from a physical point of view, exactly what helps the acoustic sound pure and natural in that space. When do you actually break ground and when do you finish raising the money? Because I know there's still a lot of money to be raised. Well, uh, yeah, raising the money will be when it happens. It's happened very quickly so far in that we've been working to raise money for about four months, and we have raised for $5 million towards the construction of the uh, concert hall. We have the money in the bank to purchase the building, first of all, and that is because of an anonymous donation we received four years ago that was for this purpose only. But once we found this building for sale at a very bargain price, we said it's bigger than we need for a concert hall, so we'll go ahead and add these other features, and it becomes a true community venue. But yes, we do have to raise another $5 million or so 
to finish the project. Some of that will be covered by a construction loan in the meantime. But the success we've had so far at raising money absolutely encourages us that there will be no problem to finish the, the project and fund it, uh, fund it quite adequately. And the beauty of this building is that because we'll be able to charge uh, nonprofits and businesses and others for use of the meeting space in particular, uh, there will be a lot of revenue that comes into the building from that, and it will actually support the building. In about four years, our business plan uh, shows that this building will be operating in the black. It will not have any debt. And I guess a lot of that, too, would come with the kitchen that you're going to be putting in there. Well, the kitchen facility is in the building already, but it's not a commercial kitchen at this point. It, it may become one. That's possible if the community uh, needs it and requests it. That would add some additional cost to the building. But right now, it's a beautiful area for small gatherings and for, let's say, a caterer to come in. If there's a banquet event or 300 people, a caterer can come into this space and prepare all their food and plate it and deliver it from this space. And it's ideal for that. I know lots of events in towns now are held in places where the caterer has to do their plating and arranging of their food in very temporary quarters, tents outside and that sort of thing. This will be ideal for that sort of an event. We've been talking with Keith Porter from In Concert Sierra. Keith, if people want more information about In Concert Sierra, how do they get that? Inconcertsierra.org on the web. And what we're doing now is scheduling people to come through the building and look at it, people in the community that are interested in seeing what we're going to do. And we're scheduling visits. Right now they're on weekends because we don't want to interfere with the work that's currently going on in the building. But uh, once we own the building, and we assume that will happen in a couple of months, uh, we'll finish, uh, close the escrow and so forth, then uh, we'll have tours during the week as well. But we'd love people to come and look at it. And on our website, inconcertsera.org, you have an opportunity to uh, look at this project and click on a spot that takes you to where you can actually schedule a visit. So we'd love to have people do that. We've been talking with Keith Porter. A lot of exciting stuff. Thanks for the update, Keith. Thank you, Felton, very much. Coming up on tonight's commentary, Shirley Frerichs gives us her two cents on electric vehicles. Frerichs is a member of Nevada County Climate Action Now and is chair of the Waste Not Committee. We are indeed in the midst of a technological revolution that may soon make cars and trucks with gas-burning engines look as quaint as a horse and buggy. States like California and New York have already mandated the end of new cars with internal combustion engines by the year 2035. Six major automakers and 30 countries will phase out gas-powered cars by 2040, only 17 years from now. More and more electric vehicles are entering the marketplace. New electric vehicle registrations in California climbed sharply from 7% in 2019, to 18% of the total auto sales during the first six months of 2022. So if you're like me, in the market for a new or a used car, what should you do? How do you navigate the many questions and even anxieties and fears that come along with the adoption of such a new technology? Even though it's not hard to consider passing up the increasingly outrageous gas prices, electric cars, plug-ins, and hybrids can be expensive. But they're not all Tesla-priced out in the stratosphere. Many new EVs have prices similar to their comparable gas cousins, and used EVs can be a bargain, although they're now in high demand because of the shortage of new EVs. On top of that, big rebates and tax credits from the new Inflation Reduction Act can save buyers up to $12,000. I'm finding that automaker sales agents do know how to figure out the rebates for me. 
Initial purchase cost isn't the only consideration, though. Electric vehicles have a much lower lifetime total cost to run. They don't use expensive gasoline, they don't require the same maintenance gas cars do, and they can be charged very inexpensively. Analysts report that electric cars have significant cost advantages over gas, thereby saving you real money in the long run. Another consideration is rage. You may have heard about rage anxiety, the fear of running out of electric charge on the road without access to a working charger. That's a real consideration, but things are improving quickly. More EVs mean more chargers, and the federal government recently passed an infrastructure bill that will install hundreds of thousands more in the next few years. The network isn't perfect yet, but it's rapidly improving. And what about the environmental impact? Yes, EV battles do require mining for minerals like cobalt and lithium. But multiple expert studies have shown that these activities have much less impact on our environment than extracting and burning of gas. Climate change, driven primarily by fossil fuels, threatens us all. The transportation sector is one of the top emitters. This explains why so many states and nations have begun to ban gas vehicles. If you want to make a serious contribution to reducing and mitigating climate change, EVs represent one of the most impactful choices you can make. Okay, so when should I buy? This is ultimately your decision as you look at the opportunities and downsides. Dan Becker, director of the Safe Climate Transport Campaign at the Center for Biological Diversity, offers this suggestion. Don't wait until January 2030 because there might be something better. There will always be something better sometime in the future. (laughs) A high-tech friend of mine thinks cars will be like computers because, in essence, that's what they are these days. They'll get updated periodically as technology changes. But also, he cautions, don't rush into buying an expensive EV based on fear. There will be more coming along, and we have until 2030 before the gas guzzler's era is over. If you'd like to know more and talk with some folks who own them, stop by the Electric Car Show this Saturday, October 29, in Nevada City at the New York Hotel parking lot from 10 o'clock in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. Sponsored by the Nevada County Climate Action Now Coalition. It will showcase several EVs and their owners who will be happy to answer your questions about electric car ownership and the significant savings it represents. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or contributors. That's our newscast for this Wednesday, October 26th. Visit us online at kvmr.org and on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Carmen's Garden and Greenhouse, locally owned since 2012 on Loma Rica Drive, Grass Valley. Stocking greenhouse coverings and components, down-to-earth amendments, IPM products, and more. Open Monday through Friday, 10 to 5. K-A-R-M-E-N-S, garden.com. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.
Join us Thursday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. Thank <laughs> you.